Hey, instead of asking y'all today what your favorite Christmas movie is, I want to ask you what your favorite Christmas movie line is. And I've listed some of my favorites up here. From Ralphie, some men are Baptists, others Catholics. My father was an Oldsmobile man. My dad was both Baptist and Oldsmobile man. I love that line. Son of a nutcracker. I'm really thankful for that one. That, 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 that's a good Baptist cuss word right there. I can say that one. Another one from Buddy. I planned out our whole day. First, we'll make snow angels for two, angels for two hours. Then we'll go ice skating. Then we'll eat a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can. And then we'll snuggle. Is that not just a perfect day right there? Hallelujah, holy blank. Where's the Tylenol? Is that going to be all of us a week from today? Oh, this touches me, doesn't it, you? Help me, I'm feeling. The cold heart is melting. That callousness is getting soft. I like that. From Santa Claus on the Miracle on 34th Street, Oh, Christmas isn't just today. It's a frame of mind. Wouldn't it be nice if we carried that frame of mind all year long? As Charles Dickens says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. And you probably guessed my favorite. Can you imagine what movie my favorite one would be? I never thought it was such a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. I think all of us do. I've discovered that so much of our lashing out in life has been a result of crying out. It's really another way of crying out for a love that was missed at some point in our experience. Well, there are so many favorite lines from the Luke's Christmas story of chapter 2 of his gospel. But I think my most favorite one is this. The angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's a favorite line for me this year because of the prevalence of fear that we have in our culture right now. And the angel begins by saying, don't be afraid. So obviously, the presence of the angel freaked out the shepherds. We need to understand that the angels of Scripture are not the cute little babies with wings just hanging out on clouds. But these angels were he-men type of warriors ready to go to battle. And that was the image that especially the Hebrew people had of angels. And so when this angel appeared before the shepherds, they very well could have thought this angel is going to just zap us right now. At the very least, they could have thought this angel is going to give us some really, really bad news. And so the angel prefaced everything else by saying, calm down. Don't be afraid. How many of us approach God with fear? And I wonder if God is wanting to come back to us and say, don't be afraid. There's no fear. You know, never wanted Daniel or Devin to approach me with fear, to be afraid, to get into my lap, no matter if they were 
had done something bad that day, I still don't want them to be afraid of me. I don't think a heavenly parent does either. Well, before Luke chapter 2, verse 10, there's Luke chapter 2, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I want us to look at the word terrified and contrast that with the, uh, the previous slide, the next verse of great joy. And what I want us to see is this. Terrified is a translation of a word, uh, mega fear, megaphobia. There was great joy in Luke 10, Luke 2.10, mega joy. And in Luke 2.9, there's great fear, mega fear. The word great in the Greek language is that word mega. We get a mega drink when we go to a come and go or something like that. So the idea is that mega fear is met with a mega joy. There's enough joy to compensate for our fear. And as I said, we live in a pretty fearful time right now. Even Christmas time can be a fearful time. We're kind of afraid with our personal finances and with the economy the way it is. We have fear over fractured relationships with friends uh, and with family members. And we have fear just due to the violence that is so prevalent in our culture right now. And so the angel seems to tell the shepherds and maybe to us too that the antidote to that fear is joy. In a survey of over 700 people, a lady by the name of Kathy Caprino, who is a senior contributor to Forbes magazine, a marriage and family therapist and a life coach, asked these people this particular question. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would that be? Do you, any of y'all want to answer that? Brave enough to shout out what you would want more than anything else in life? Nothing. Nothing? Health? Peace? Love? I like it. Well, their, their answers, the majority of the 700, was happiness. A lot of them said love, a lot of them said peace, some of them said money. The fifth answer was joy. So the people that took this survey saw a difference between happiness and joy. They saw that happiness was kind of contingent upon your circumstances, but joy was something more consistent. Joy was almost like a, a steady stream that just flowed through you that really was independent and not uh, moved by outside circumstances. And uh, there's some legitimacy to that for sure. My dad, excuse me, was a pastor and when he would uh, preach on joy, happiness, he defined happiness like this. If your happenings happen to happen happily, you have happiness. If your happenings happen to happen unhappily, you have unhappiness. That really is a pretty good description of how some of us distinguish between happiness and joy. There's another guy by the name of J.D. Salinger, catcher in the rye fame. He uh, described the difference like this. The most singular difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is a solid and joy is a liquid. I really don't know what he's talking about there. 
Because I would have thought joy would have been a solid thing, something you could stand on, and, and happiness a liquid. You just never know where it's going to go. So, so maybe he's, he's meaning that, uh, that joy is uh, something that you, as a liquid, maybe it's that whole idea of the stream that flows through you. And happiness is a solid that you chase, that you hunt down, and that you can grab a hold of, and, and you can kind of name what that is. Uh, because we all seem to get excited when something good happens to us. It doesn't have to be very big. Uh, you can find a parking place on a crowded Saturday before Christmas uh, close to your store. I got out a winter coat the other day and checked in my pocket and found a dollar bill. You would have thought a mega million guy. It just doesn't take much to make us happy. Those circumstances can give us a, a, a thrill, just a boost of happiness. And that's exactly what the idea is between happiness and joy, I think. Some preachers that I grew up with made such a distinguishment between happiness and joy that they elevated joy and they kind of denigrated happiness. They almost made happiness sound like the joy's ugly brother. I grew up in, a, in an environment, I think Denise did too, my wife, in, in the Baptist world, that we were made to feel guilty if we wanted to pursue happiness. We kind of forgot about that Declaration of Independence thing, but it was just almost less than godly to want to be happy. We had a mantra in my youth that God wants you to be holy, not happy. Yeah, that's how we were raised. God wants your holiness, not happiness. Now, we have to th thank for that our Puritan ancestors who, according to journalist and American English scholar H.L. Mencken, said, were stricken with the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. Yeah. <laughs> and then you add to this the Protestant Reformation and the, the Reformers back in the day focused in their theology on the fall of Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humankind. They didn't focus on the beautiful creation of chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, about which God says again and again and again and again, good, 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 good. And then he sums it up by saying, golly, bum, this is very good. Now, the Reformers just kind of went by that and went and zoomed in on chapter 3. So their focus, and I'm, I was of the, of the Protestant, the protesters, uh, environment and culture, and it was my heritage, so I was raised to focus on the negative and not the positive. And that was a mark of the Reformation, to focus on the negative and not the positive. And so uh, happiness just wasn't in the deal so much. It wasn't so much that you would ever be happy. It was just that you, you would well, not be afraid anymore. Here's, here's what, I, what I mean by that. There's a, there's a scholar, uh, her name is Dr. Ellen Shari. She is a, a historical and systematic uh, theolo theologian at Princeton Seminary. And she says that Protestants became preoccupied with finding a solution to the paralyzing fear produced by their belief in God's justifiable wrath about human sinfulness. She nailed it right there. 
the only happiness that we really were to pursue is the assurance that God was not going to kill us, that God was not going to send us to hell. And once we kind of got over that through saying that prayer, then, but we were never quite sure, so we would have to say that prayer over and over and over again. And we just had this constant fear and, and constant sense of dread. And so it was very hard for, to be happy. So the, the Protestant's idea of happiness was just a relief and in a, from the anxiety of uh, being objects of God's wrath. It was never to pursue a personal happiness. But at this stage of my life, as I look at things very, very differently than I used to, I discover that, you know, maybe we shouldn't draw such a distinction between happiness and joy. And in fact, Scripture kind of conflates the two as well. Let me show you an example in Psalm 126. The writer says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. The joy that the psalmist writes about here is circumstantial. It's contingent upon things happening. And the way I was raised, joy doesn't depend on your happenings. Only happiness depends on your happenings. But here the psalmist says, joy depends upon what happened to me, and he's remembering the good thing that's happened in the past. And he's asking God to make good things happen again so that he can again feel joy in his life. I find myself doing that. It's kind of like the song that Jesse sang. It's that uh, as of days of yore, uh, days gone by, we, and we kind of long for the days of yesterday when we have an imagination anyway. It may not be real reality. But we just imagine that life in the past was better than life is in the present. And we kind of go back to a day, nostalgic, where relationship was good, the family was good, our health was good. I do go back to those days. And our job was good. And uh, we just kind of sometimes imagine that yesterday is better than today. And we remember things that happened that were so very good. And uh, we just want those good things to happen again today. Because in the life story of so many of us, things seem to be going pretty good. Things were fitting in nicely like pieces of a puzzle. And then somebody came along and picked up the puzzle and threw it all over the room. And the pieces of our lives just went everywhere. It may have been a call from the doctor, it may have been a call from a child, it, it could have been uh, a job situation, but whatever it was, our pieces of life just kind of broke, and we can't put them all back together, and our lives feel like a tangled mess of Christmas lights that we get out of the attic. It's just an absolute mess. The pieces just don't fit. And we're calling upon God to restore our joy, to make good things happen again. And I was taught that that wasn't good to do. But then I read this psalm, and, well, it's good enough for the psalmist to do. 
to ask for some good things to happen. So why can't I ask God for some good things to happen in our life? Maybe that's okay to do after all. And he goes on with those things about restoring our fortune. You know, one of the most well-loved sections of Scripture is in the Christian Scripture. It's called the Beatitudes. At the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of Jesus' manifesto, hey, do you all want to know what it's like to follow me? Here it is. And he talks with this at the first with this list of things that he prefaces with the words blessed or blessed. And you can see all of those, and they go on and on and on. And our English translations, with the exception of the Good News translation, I think all translate that Greek word as blessed. And it goes on and on to the end of that uh, list. But there are many translations, versions of Scripture around the globe that translate that word blessed as happy. And I think both of them are pretty good translations. But I understand happiness better than I do blessedness. And it's almost like Jesus is laying out, you know, if you really want to be happy in your life, these are the things that we need to be. These are the things that we need to do. So maybe we don't need to get hung up a whole lot on the differences between joy and happiness. Because all we want is just to have this good sense of feeling of contentment and that things are going to be okay, that things are going to work out. And that's a good thing. It's like the song, Winter Wonderland, sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. It's a beautiful sight. We're happy tonight to live right now in the present. Right now, I'm happy. And in the next moment, okay, I'll worry about that when that moment comes. But right now, I'm, I'm joyful, and I'm happy, and I have a sense of hope. Andy Williams, i kind of tired of Andy singing in my ear. That's the hap, 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 happiest season of all. And maybe I just need to keep telling myself that it is sometimes. But the truth is, it's not the happiest season of all for a lot of people. A lot of people, because of the stuff that's happened in our lives, it's the bluest time of year. So tonight at 6.30, we're having our annual Blue Christmas service. It'll only be about 30 minutes. It'll be very contemplative, and it'll be very quiet. It'll just be a, a, a real time of, of connection and communion, maybe with uh, someone who has passed and with other people who are experiencing some kind of a loss in, uh, in their life. In the Hebrew world... And I so value the Hebrew understanding of spirituality and uh, human condition. But in the Hebrew culture, joy is not something individual. We in the United States are so individualistic, and we don't really care about your happiness. I just want to be happy myself. And, uh, you know, screw you, I just want to be happy. But in the Jewish culture, it's, joy is not something that a person experiences individually, but it's something that this community experiences. It's something that is shared. For example, there's a really good passage in Nehemiah, and this Nehemiah was written and tells the story of what happened when the Israelites came home after being in, 
in refugees uh, in uh, Babylon. They came back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah said to the people, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We've heard, seen that on a lot of cards before. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But the idea here is that the joy of God was in them sharing their experience with other people, with drinking together, eating together, celebrating together, and sharing with those who had nothing. Everyone was at the table. And no one was missing out. Joy in that culture includes everyone. And that, that phrase, who have nothing prepared, it's not because they're lazy and they didn't have to take time to prepare something. They had nothing prepared because they had nothing to prepare. And so Nehemiah instructed joy is to be shared among those who have nothing. The ancient Jewish people knew how to celebrate no matter what happened to them, no matter what they were going through. A comedian that was in my, my dad's generation, Alan King, was of the Jewish uh, religion as well, and he said that every Jewish holiday could be summed up as this. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. <laughs> and so suffering and joy kind of went hand in hand in that culture. And it passed from glass to glass. They shared that joy with each other. And what I'm hoping that we can do, not just this Christmas season, but every day, share our joy with one another. Uh, multiply that joy by sharing it. Neuroscientists tell us that when we reflect on happy memories of the past, our brain communicates that we're experiencing those same experiences right now in the present. So what does it look like to create joy? Think of the memories of your childhood. Maybe they are memories of Christmas time, of joy. Think of a memory. Think of the first thing that pops in your mind and, and just live with that for the next few moments. Meditate upon those memories of joy in the past. In so doing, you will create and you will cultivate joy in the present. So I invite you just to settle into your space. Maybe even close your eyes. Feel the ground beneath your feet or feel the seat beneath your seat. Take a deep breath and breathe out. Are you tense? You feel some tension in your shoulders? Just purposely relax those soldiers, soldiers and let your body just rest. Allow memory to arise in your past where you felt joy, happiness, and safety. Maybe from Christmas as a child, or maybe it's more recent. Where were you and who was with you 
What do you see and what do you smell? And what are your feelings? As we come back to the present, take another deep breath. Breathe in the joy of God, which is our strength. And breathe out that joy to others. And carry these feelings of joy throughout the rest of this day. Amen.